0: Welcome to the First Prez podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to be up here with you, giving this hour to the Lord. And, uh, you know, we believe that when God is glorified, lives are transformed. So it's good to see you here giving this hour as, as we just clap for just making it here. It's you're in the right place at the right time because, because uh, yeah, right, because God has, uh, in his wisdom, he's ordained one, one day in seven to set aside, stop doing the other stuff and give him glory. And we know uh, that it's good for us when we do. So, and you also got to see we're putting our best foot forward on a Sunday like today, kickoff Sunday, other days we give you the other foot, but today we got our best foot forward, and Alan, awesome, uh, I hope you see that we love kids, and we want to help you win at, at uh, loving your kids well in Jesus' name if you're in that mode, and we love kids to the moon and back, don't uh, all right, okay, okay, well listen, uh, as we jump into this series um, and we open our Bibles, um, I want to take a minute and just ask you uh, to take a minute with me to address something that's going on in our city that is tearing people uh, apart and into into different um, different types of teams in our city, and that's uh, the death of this young man, Devon Bailey, uh, last week. Um, it's not my place to render judgments on um, on everything that occurred, and if you if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, this won't mean anything to you. But if you've been following this in the news, this is something that leaders in our city, including clergy, are deeply and passionately in dialogue and and, uh, and addressing. Um, It's not my place to render a judgment here, but as your pastor, it's important to say a word. And I believe this morning that word is empathy. It's empathy. What is empathy? Empathy is our ability to step over the line and feel what somebody else is feeling from a different perspective. And so you may be called to a place of empathy. Maybe you're called to empathize with the family of Devon Bailey to truly feel what they're feeling and to feel the pain of the community that he lives in, lived in. Maybe you're called to empathize and step across the line and empathize with the officers of the Colorado Springs Police Department who were forced in that instant to make a split second decision that wound up ending the life of a young man let's what what i'm saying is let's as followers of christ step forward with empathy growing in empathy in every single direction because as we do that that's it defends our witness as a church it gives glory to the name of jesus and it brings our city together in peace and unity are you with me so just be praying be praying for the leaders this is a big moment in our city it really is so be praying for our leaders, be praying for your pastors and, and um, as, we, as we guide forward in this. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. We're talking about humanize me. How do we be more human as God made us? To be. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're starting with this famous story, the Good Samaritan story, and the scripture's going to be in front of you. And if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you can get one from the back and you can take that home if you want. I'd encourage you to download a Bible. Download it on your phone. UVersion Bible app is what I use. It comes free, and we want you to have the Word of God in your life. As we look to Luke 10, we open our scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our simple and humble prayer is this. Open your word to us, Lord Jesus, and open us to your word that we can have wisdom and knowledge and life. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. 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 At verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man... humanize me, humanize, to humanize. You're familiar with that phrase because we talk about it. We talk about how celebrities and politicians need to be humanized to connect with ordinary run-of-the-mill, you know, folks like you and me, right? They have to be humanized. Well, uh, I'm not a celebrity, and I'm not a politician. Amen. (laughs) But I'm enough of some kind of something that... um, <laughs> that sometimes my staff says stuff like this to me, like, you know, well, it'll humanize it. Here's an example. So I said, well, I shouldn't have told that story about forgetting to wear deodorant on the airplane. That was too personal. They say, no, 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 Tim. That's okay. That just serves to humanize you with the congregation. That's, they're going to feel like you're, I said, oh, okay, All right. And I tell my staff, you know, I was at this event and a lot of pictures were taken. There's a lot of important people there. I think I'm going to turn up in these pictures, but here's the deal. Be ready. It's going to look like I was picking my nose. And I say, that's okay, Tim. It's okay. I have a very supportive staff, you see. I say, that's okay. That's just going to make you more human to the people around you. I'm like, well, all right. That leads me to two follow-up questions. One is, the first is... When did boogers and body odor become the mark <laughs> of being a real human being, you know? I mean, when did that become like the criteria? And then a second question, seriously, what has happened to me that the that, that people have to be convinced, you know? What has happened to dehumanize me where we have to do stuff to convince people that I'm actually a human being, you know, what's going on? They're forces that dehumanize us in the world. They make us feel less than human. They make us look at others as less than human. They pull us apart. They push us down. They hold us back from what God intended us to be, dehumanizing forces. So there's this movement, you know, this campaign to stay human, be human, join team human. In fact, there's a band called Stay Human. This is the leader of that band, and he's got his hat on, stay human. I saw a guy wearing that same hat uh, here in Colorado just a couple weeks ago. Human, stay human, be human, join team. I like that. I mean, that sounds like the right thing to do, right? But I wonder what you mean by it. What do you mean by human? And you say, we all know what it means to be human. Well, do we? I'm not so sure. And if you're defining it along the way, and if I'm defining it along the way as we go, I'm not sure we're going to wind up at the same place. What does it mean to be human? You say, Tim, you're, getting, you're making too much of this. We all know what it means to be human because we all went to kindergarten together, and everything I need to know in life I learned in kindergarten, kindergarten right? So we learned all this, you know, be nice, share, be kind, Uh, Don't yell, don't hit, uh, try to keep your pants dry. (laughs) You know, it's good advice, all of that, (laughs) right? But you know what the problem is, we didn't all go to kindergarten together. What do you mean when you say, we need to be more human? Well, we're entering this series, Humanize Me. We're talking about humanization, about becoming more fully human. And so what should be our model? Where should we look? Who should be our model of humanity? I mean, back to front, right to left, online, everybody, say it at once. Who should we look to as the model of humanity? Who is it? Jesus, Jesus is the right answer. Is always the right answer. Yeah. Jesus is our model for being human. Why? Because Jesus is, is what it means to be fully human. We're quick to say, don't expect me to be like Jesus. I can't be like Jesus. I'm only human. That's exactly upside down. Jesus is what it means to be human. Jesus is the example of fullness of humanity. Jesus is what it means to be totally, fully, uncompromisingly human. Human. In fact, if we've been dehumanized, we each have been dehumanized to the degree to which we are are not living life as Jesus would have us live life. The degree to which we are not living in the likeness of Jesus. So, uh, So the distance between how I live now and how Jesus would live if he were in my skin, that same distance to that very same extent, you and I, we are dehumanized. We're less than what God has made us to be. We've been pushed out of our humanity by forces outside of us, by things within us that we've done. We've been pushed away from what God fully intends us to be. But here's the good news. Jesus is humanizing me. And he's humanizing you. And he's making us back into the image of himself and his likeness. And the more that you and I and us all together are humanized... And the more we reflect the likeness of Jesus, guess what? The more we get to help others be more human too. Humanized people get to humanize people. And you get to see somebody else walk into fullness of life. We can be a force for flourishing, human flourishing in Colorado Springs and around the world as we start to see that. So are you starting to get it? Are you starting to get what this is about? Human? No. Okay. (laughs) I'll go back to the beginning if you don't don't say yes. (laughs) Yes, okay. Jesus is about humanizing us. He's about pulling us into what he fully made us to be. And it's a big nut to crack. It's something we're going to think about all through this fall. We're going to work on this together, think about it. I hope you're in a life group to talk about it, ask questions about it. You know, we're going to interact with this because this is a big challenge to think about this. But if you invest in this series, you're going to see how Jesus is a humanizing Savior. And you're going to see also how following Jesus means you get to be a part of humanizing others as well. You get to be a blessing. So let's jump in. Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. This story is actually going to be a frame that we return to again and again as we go through this series. We're going to hold on to this. We're going to lean back on it. And it happens to be the passage that we use as a ministry staff to frame all of our interventions for poverty and people in need, here, nationally, and around the world. So this is key to us. It's important. It's important to us. Luke 10, let's set it up right. A lawyer comes and asks Jesus, What do I have to do to earn eternal life? What do I have to do, you see? Eternal life sounds good. Where do I get some? What do I have to do? And what does Jesus say to him? Well, he says, What do you read in the scriptures? What Jesus is saying is, this Bible's got it. This scriptures have got it. This Scriptures it'll, it'll tell you what you have to do. It'll tell you what you have to accomplish. It will give you all that you need to do to, to attain full righteousness, to fully satisfy holiness, and to earn eternal life with God. So he says, you, you're a smart guy. You read it. What do you read? Now, the lawyer is a smart guy, and he sums up the scriptures very well. And so he says in verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God. Church, let's read that together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor. Does that sound easy? Sounds simple? We're done, right? We can go. Love God, love neighbor. I've got it. Not so fast, my friend. What does it mean to love God? He says, love God fully with all your heart, with all your soul. Do you know how to even love something with your soul? He says, all your soul, with all your strength. With all your mind, all, all, love God fully and love neighbor. Love neighbor, how much? As much as you love who? Yourself. Yourself. Friends, this isn't easy. This is impossible. And what Jesus is saying to this lawyer is you cannot fulfill righteousness and gain eternal life through your behavior. Your behavior doesn't buy your salvation. What Jesus is saying to him is, even when you sum it all up, as easy as that, as simple as that, love God, love neighbor, it's impossible. It's out of our reach. Eternal life is a gift of God's grace. When you throw yourself down on the mercy seat of Jesus Christ and you receive forgiveness from him, it doesn't come when you stand up and claim to have fulfilled all righteousness, loving God and loving neighbor. This man is way too confident in his spiritual prowess. So, the lawyer then, wanting to justify himself. Did you catch that? Wanting to justify himself. I'm telling you this whole passage could be a series. So sit down, buckle up. We're wanting to justify himself he asks a details question. Who is my neighbor? It's almost like he's got a list. You know, here's the 12 people that are regularly in my life. Jesus, which of two or three do I really have to love, right? Which, maybe four. Okay, I could include, you know, her. (laughs) So in response to that, Jesus tells the story. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. Happened a lot on that road. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. All oh, right, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Levi was coming though. Another religious figure. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. And you know when Jesus says, a Samaritan, you know we're we're all supposed to go, ew. (laughs) Why? Because a Samaritan, they're different from, they're other, they're different people. We don't run with the Samaritans. Jesus says, a Samaritan. Now he came along and, and he was traveling where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So we don't want to be the priest. We don't want to be the Levite. We don't want to be the proudly religious walking by the hurting. We want to be like the Samaritan. Is that clear? I mean, that's what we want to be like. We want to be like the Samaritan. But it goes on further. The victim was dehumanized, okay? Now watch what the Samaritan does to wisely intervene and make a difference in his life and bring true help and healing. It goes on, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. See, Jesus didn't have to fill all this out. He goes on and he gives us details. He gives us details. Why? Because he wants us to know something about how to go and do likewise, to do like the Samaritan. So he comes and he goes to him and he puts him on his own donkey. It's almost like he believes that his donkey isn't just his own possession for his own good, but it might be something to be used to help others and glorify God. So he puts him on his own donkey and he he takes him to an inn and took care of him. He takes him somewhere. The next day, he took out two denarii. That's like uh, two days wages. Gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. Him, he said, Look after him. And when I return, not if I return, when I return, I'm going to do what? I'm going to reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Friends, that's the model. There's so much in there. That's the model. And then Jesus flips the question around. You see, the man asked, Who is my neighbor? Who exactly do I have to love to satisfy this? Who is the person that I have to give my love to? And Jesus tells this story in response to that. And I want you to note something. He doesn't turn to him and say, so see, every bleeding and hurt man on the street is your neighbor. That isn't what Jesus said, is it? Jesus asks him a question, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to? the man who fell into the hands of robbers. What's the point? Jesus is saying, don't come to me and ask me what the minimum is. Don't come to me with your your heart, you know, just asking, what's the minimum? How many people do I have to love to satisfy this? What I want you to do is, I want your heart to flip around. I want you to come to me and ask, how many people could I be a neighbor to? With what God's given me and where he's placed me, how many people could I bless? How many people could I see, you know, get humanized? and be fully who God made them to be. That's where your heart needs to be, says Jesus. That's where fulfillment is. So the lawyer answers the question correctly, that the neighbor in the story, the one who loved, the one who, who used neighbor as a verb, not as a noun, who neighbored somebody else, who reached out to somebody else, who lifted somebody, the one who, who did as Jesus wants us to do, he was the Samaritan. He's the Samaritan. Right, Jesus says. Go and do likewise we want to go and do likewise that's who we want to be like now how do we do it if we're going to go and do what he went and did then we got to figure out what he went and did don't we if we're going to go and do likewise what did he do How do you meaningfully help those who have suffered some form of dehumanization? How do you really help people that are in poverty? How do you really reach out? How do you really help the homeless? How do you really relieve the poor? How do you actually do something that truly helps them anyone who's suffering whose life is compromised whose potential is limited by these dehumanizing forces it could be stuff that they did that was that they made a mistake it could be experiences that they had that pushed them away it could be things that have done to them that are keeping them from being who God fully made them to be how do you help how do you help how do you really help because see we think we know how to help we know how to help because everything I need to know in life I learned in so I learned that a long time ago but you know what? We don't know how to help, and a lot of times the interventions we make actually do more harm than good. If poverty is dehumanizing, how do we alleviate poverty in Jesus' name? Now, when you hear that word, you hear that word poverty. What's the first thing that you think of? When we hear poverty, we think no money, no fun, no fun. You ever heard of that? Letter from a kid from college. No mun, no fun, your son. Anybody here, you know what the the dad replies? You remember? Too bad, so sad, your dad. (laughs) See, I'm glad some of you know that because my dad used that on me all the time. But we hear the word poverty, we think no money. But you know, that's not actually what people talk about. If you go and ask people who live around the world on less than $2 a day, they don't talk about poverty as a lack of money. They talk about it in terms of shame, humiliation, hopelessness, powerlessness, fear, social social isolation, inferiority, vulnerability. Throwing money at that list is foolishness. There's an organization called Hope International that works to alleviate poverty around the world. Actually, what they do is a lot like what my wife Abigail does with Tolly, Touch of Love International. They they give uh, small uh, loans, micro loans, to people and some business training to help them to build their own small business. What Hope International says is we alleviate global poverty through elevating human dignity. We alleviate global poverty through elevating human dignity. that's, that's totally says. Hope, Hope International surveyed their clients in, uh, in Rwanda a couple of years ago, and they asked them, what does it mean to be in poverty? Like, like, don't us tell you, you tell us. What does it mean to be in poverty? Here's what they said. I want to give you their list. Top ten list, in order of their priority... What is poverty? Number one, poverty is an empty heart. Empty heart. Number two, poverty is not knowing your abilities and strengths. Number three, not being able to make progress. Number four, isolation. This is my list, that's their list. What's poverty, you ask? It's isolation, it's loneliness, lonesomeness. It's being separated out. Number five, no hope or belief in yourself, knowing you can't take care of your family. Number six, broken relationships. Poverty is broken relationships. Something's, it's, a, it's, some, it's a symptom, something's wrong, and it dehumanizes all of us. Broken relationships. Number seven, not knowing God. What's poverty? Poverty is not knowing God. Number eight, number eight. Number eight is not having basic things to eat, not having money. Number nine, poverty is a consequence of not sharing. It's a brokenness in the human condition. Number 10, number 10, lack of good thoughts. What's poverty? That's poverty. What is your response to a list like that? I mean, for one thing, money hardly shows up. It's number eight, and it's an afterthought to another problem. What is your response to a list like that? It gives me at least two two thoughts. One is, if that's poverty, if that's poverty, if that's the dehumanizing forces of poverty, then money by itself isn't going to do a darn thing. But number two, if that's poverty, then friends... You and I. Do you see yourself in that list? If that's poverty, then you and I, we're suffering from poverty. We're suffering dehumanizing forces that isolate us and break relationships and break hope and leave us isolated and alone and helpless and frustrated. We're suffering. Us, here living in Colorado Springs, United States of America, 2019, the wealthiest the most uh, uh, accommodated, most protected, most secure lifestyle that has ever been on the face of this planet. I hope you know we got it pretty good. <laughs> are you with me? And we're suffering poverty, if that's what poverty is. And we need to be saved. We are dehumanized. what does the man in Jesus' story feel the man who is beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road what is he experiencing what he's experiencing is that he feels less than human he's been dehumanized by violence and what does the Samaritan do the one that Jesus tells us to go and do likewise what does he do to intervene we want to do what he did well he doesn't walk by like the priest and the Levite does he but you know what else he doesn't do he doesn't drop a five dollar bill on him either he intervenes in a deeper and a wiser way. We've got a challenge here in, in our city with homelessness, don't we? And when we come down to First Pres, we interact with it. Because we're a church in the heart of the city. We're right here. It's one of the things that we love. It's one of the, I hope it's something that you love about being a part of First Pres. But it's a challenge for us. so we want to know what to do. And we hear Jesus saying, to give to everyone who asks of you. Luke 6, 30, give to everyone who asks of you. So we see people living on the street, and on the one hand, we want to give. But what if dropping money on them is not helpful in the long term? That might not be the give that needs to be given. Bob Lupton, in his book, Toxic Charity, says, Give once, and you elicit appreciation. Give twice, and you create anticipation give 3 times and you create expectation give 4 times and it becomes entitlement give 5 times and you create dependency you depend on me and in wanting to help you see you see there's there's something called toxic Charity. Charity can be imprisoning. There is a poverty trap. In wanting to help, I have made you less powerful than you were when I first met you. And you depend on me. What are we supposed to do? So we see, you know, giving to a panhandler isn't going to help them in the long term. That's what everything that's what everything tells us. So what are we supposed to do? Well, friends, I want to tell you as a church, we're doing likewise. We want to go and do likewise like the Good Samaritan. We're following this model. So what did he do? He he didn't walk by heartlessly. He stepped in and assessed the situation and he had compassion, he had empathy, he crossed the line, and he saw the man in his helpless estate, and he didn't see him as a problem, he saw him as a person you see. He didn't see him as trouble, he saw him as potential. He saw that there's a future that we could walk toward together if I'm willing to really do the thing. And he moved toward him. And what did he do? He got out from his own stores what he could do to help, a little bit. And he he poured out oil and wine to heal him. He begins a relationship of trust. And then he picks him up and he conveys him. He puts him on his, his donkey and he conveys him somewhere. He carries him off to another place. What's that other place called three letters it's an inn now why is jesus outlining all this? do you get it he didn't have to do that for us but he outlines step by step this whole story of this good samaritan and he takes him to an inn well what in the world what inn? i don't know it's just an inn and he takes him there well why is that there because the inn and in the story is the place where this man can start to feel safe and healed and human again. And the in is, is, is an agency of care that can do something for that man that the Samaritan could never do. And that you and I we could never do. What's the N in the story? The in is an agency of care that we partner with. So at First Pres, we partner with these agencies of care who, bring, who can shepherd people along and can help them. And we, and we don't just let it go. Just like the good Samaritan, we say, when I return, I want to hear the story and I want to hear the extra needs because I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait. But we partner with agencies of care. We partner with a lot of them. What I want you, uh, I want to put a finger on one this morning, which is Springs Rescue Mission that we partner with as an inn. So would you watch this video with me? I was tired of being drunk and high every day. And I would sit outside of the building and watch people go in and they'd be going to work and they'll be doing something, they'll be happy. And I wondered what it was and what, how I could get it. I honestly believe I was called to this program. It was very hard to raise my hand up in court and say I don't want to do a year in jail again. And I need some help. The reason we focus on uh, spiritual health amongst all the other needs that, that our guests have is Whenever they come to us, they are broken. They are at a point where they see no hope in their life. And it's much more than just getting their mental health right, their physical health right. To point them in the direction that Jesus Christ loves them, provides them with a hope that will initiate them to point their life in the right direction, to see transformation and restoration. I look at them and we begin that with our program Philosophy, which is very basic and foundational, which is relationships, getting to know them, getting to know them by name, listen to their stories, just being there. And then that opens the door for me to see their needs and to pray for them. I teach them to look to God and to look to Jesus for their strength, for their guidance, for their hope as they go through the program. It's changed me so much, it's unreal. It's hard to explain how much inside has changed. The darkness is gone. See, that's an N. And we love partnering with Ns. The mission Catering Arma Springs Rescue Mission happens right between right behind those doors in our industrial-sized kitchen. And we just recently celebrated the opening of Greenway Flats, a uh, low-income housing development that would not have come to be without the sacrifice and passion of a, of a, of a particular man, a member of our church here. We're so proud to be partnered with, with agencies of care like that. Friends, it feels like we're just scratching the surface, doesn't it? This is just an introduction. But I hope you hang in with this, jump in with this. Because I can't wait to see what we learn together. But even more than that, I can't wait to see what kind of a church we get to be when we start to truly live in to what Christ is doing in our lives as a body. But then what he wants us to be about out there in the world. Removing these impediments, taking away pain, taking away suffering, bringing people to healing and responsible in responsible, full ways. When we realize that Jesus is out to make us more human. And we get to be more human, more like him. And when we're more human, we get to humanize others. But friends, as we close, I don't want you to miss this at all. See, when we look at this story and Jesus outlines all this for us, why does he care so much? He hates to see his children suffering. But he's trying to tell you something else too. See, you have been dehumanized. And I've been dehumanized. By the things that we've done wrong, the mistakes that we've made, the ways that we've run from God, run from his light. We've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, we've insulted the Lord, our God, our maker. We've been dehumanized. And so Jesus says, I want you to be like the good Samaritan. Why? Why? I want you to be like the Good Samaritan in the story. Well, he wrote the story. He wrote the story. He created the Good Samaritan. He says, I want you to be like the Good Samaritan. Why? Because the Good Samaritan is like Jesus. Jesus is the Lord who will never walk by you When you are lying beaten and bruised and bloodied by this world and by mistakes you've made and by your own sin, He will never walk by you. Jesus is the Lord who stops and turns to you. Jesus is the Savior who heals wounds, who pours out oil and balm and wine. He pours out from His stores to heal, to heal. In fact, He's the one who took our wounds onto Himself. He's the Savior who heals. And Jesus in the story, listen, he's not only the good Samaritan, but he's the the donkey in the story. He's the beast of burden who carries us home who carries us out of pain and into the kingdom of God. He's the beast of burden on whom all the sin of all the world was laid when he carried our sin, the weight of sin, on his shoulders to the cross. Jesus knows what it means to carry it all. And wherever you are, left behind and forgotten and walked by in your pain, Jesus is the one who carries you home from there. How can we be human again? How is it possible for the dehumanized to be made human? It's possible because Jesus, who is God, became human like us and made himself less than human so that you and I could be restored as children of God and be saved by his grace and be made human again by him. Let's pray together. Lord, fashion our hearts after yours that our actions may follow. Fashion our hearts after your heart. Change our hearts so that when our hands move at the impulse of your love, they render your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.